Would you open your Bibles to uh, the Word of God in Exodus chapter, um, chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. If you are using uh, a pew Bible, I believe that you can find that passage or the Red Pew Bible on page 45 and 46 of the Red Pew Bible. The Black Pew Bible has slightly different numbers, so um, it might be a little different than I was just reflecting on that bridge. You amaze me, God. You redeem me. You call me as as your own. Maddie, would you take us back to that slide for just a second? Can we just say that together? Can you find that slide, Matt? Say that with me, would you? You amaze me. Redeem me. You call me as your own. Would you say it one more time? You amaze me. Redeem me. You call me as your own. Oh, God, open your word to us. You have called us as your own, God. But we still live in a world uh, that's hard sometimes to see those connections. So speak, would you, God? Speak to us words of life. Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're picking up Exodus chapter 1 at verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Um, my Bible is highlighted in orange. All of Genesis, well, substantial portion of Genesis was about God strategically placing his son Joseph. It just looked like everything had gone wrong. And all through that, God was strategically preparing Joseph to, to uh, bless Egypt, this non-believing nation, but also to provide sanctuary for his own, um, his own clan. And, and when we left them at the end of Genesis, they were, they were flourishing. They, they had gotten the best of the land. God had so used this one person, this one man in the life of Egypt that the country was grateful in response. And they opened that country to Joseph. Remember, we saw last week that 70 members of Joseph's family came into Egypt. But now, uh, fast forward 400 years, right? Um, there's a new king in Egypt, a new pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And the 70 people that have entered uh, Egypt have now become well, 600,000 fighting men, which roughly translates to 2 million people. Those 70 people had become 2 million. Even though they were in a foreign land, they still identified as the family of God. And 2 million Hebrews were in Egypt. And this king is having none of it. Picking it up again in verse 9. And he said to his people... Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens the Hebrews built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. 
But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. That could almost be the key verse for the whole book of Acts, right? The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shepra, or beautiful one, and the other Pua, or splendid one. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The very word of God. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I was reflecting as as we gathered together. Such a very special time. Uh, For whatever reason, God has brought together um, far-flung missionaries. He's brought together um, pastors. He's brought together um, people who, who have a heart for their families and for their city and, and for God's kingdom. And, and for whatever reason, he has allowed us to spend these days together. Why? You ever wonder? Why does God bless us? Why does he do good things for us? Well, I think in, in the book of Exodus, we get a hint of why he does that. God has a sovereign purpose for every moment of our lives. Amen? It's, it's not like there was a job for us to do when we were 18 and we did it by the time we were 27 and, and now we're just cooling our jets. Now God is still in the business of advancing his kingdom and it's such a privilege to do that with you, to do that with you here. But we need instruction. We need blessing along the way. And I, I love God's Word that it always speaks to us exactly in our time of need. It gives us exactly what we need to be able to serve Him. If you still have your finger in um, Exodus, I want you to just keep your finger there, but look over just one chapter. We're going to add a couple of verses to our reading for today. One, one chapter later, we'll pick up in between next week, 
But one chapter later, he kind of summarizes the situation of the people of Israel in Exodus 1. Chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The same one that had been persecuting them. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant. Remember that last week? His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. What a privilege to know. God sees us and hears us and knows us. Well, we saw last week that, that despite all the experiences that Joseph personally had to go through, God blessed him amazingly so and, and made a covenant uh, with, 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 really with the covenant he'd made in Genesis 12 with Abraham, continued that covenant through Joseph that he would be their God and that they would be his people And so we saw last week just the amazing blessing of covenant relationship with God. We were talking this morning with a family that's preparing to baptize their children and just talking about covenant and this amazing privilege of being together with God at the center in covenant relationship. And and it just looked amazing. It looked beautiful. God has provided for his people, but they are in exile, as it were. They are not in their homeland. And I don't know about you, but did you ever wonder why 400 years went by, right? 400 years went by. Later, we'll see this happen again, and 70 years will go by. Why did God leave them in a land not their own? Sometimes, sometimes it is in exile that we capture the true heart of God. Sometimes it's in exile that his word is fulfilled. Sometimes it's in exile that we, that we experience the, the fruitfulness that God has promised us. And that certainly was true here. So much true that, that um, now the blessing was turning to bitterness. Now, now persecution was beginning to arise before we jump into the passage, our, our study here of how do we move from blessing to bitterness and what is God doing, I want to I um, uh, remind you of some of the tools that we have to open God's Word together. Last week, we uh, learned a new tool. For many of us, a new tool. Does anybody remember that tool? This is a test. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Great job, you guys. Thank you. I was just about to crawl into a hole and say I'm such an effective communicator. If you weren't with us, we learned a new Bible study, a tool called SPEC. Do you remember that? The S stands, when you look at a passage of Scripture, is there any sin in there that God has brought to my attention that I need to confess? Is there anything in that passage that, that unveils my heart and reveals something that is out of the will of God? And, and then we... we um, we focused also on the P. Is there a promise of God in there? And that was particularly appropriate last week because there was all kinds of promises. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Remember that? Uh, God makes amazing promises to us. 
We, we ask ourselves, is there an example for me to follow? Oftentimes there's not a specific command or promise, but, but there's an example, either a positive example or a negative one. And, and it could be said that Joseph's life was an amazing example uh, of, of, of a person who trusted God, even in the midst of overwhelming odds and difficulties. S-P-E, example, C, literally, are there any commands in there? Sometimes God just says, don't do this or do this. Uh, all of that has just oriented our whole mission around one of the commands of God to make disciples who make disciples. Is there a command in that given passage for us, right? And then, and then the K, is there anything that we learn about God that we can know about God? as a result of that passage. And I pray that, that um, when you're in different passages and you're saying, how do I unpack this, that some of the tools that we've shared with you uh, will be helpful along the way. But today's passage, a different tool, is very helpful for us. In today's passage, I want to use a couple of questions from our Discovery Bible Study tool that we have shared before. These are out in the foyer if you don't have one in your hand or in in your Bible, but on one side is a personal Bible study technique, soaps. On the other one is a, a group Bible study technique that, um, that we invite you to use. So simple that you can just go to a neighbor's and say, would, would you like to open God's word with me? And, and let's sit down together and, and just ask seven questions. And, and, and God will use those seven questions to open his word to others. Two of those questions are really helpful for us today in our passage. I'm going to actually take them out of order, but the first one, as we look at this process of of God directing his people in the book of Exodus, uh, I want to ask that question, what do we learn about people from these passages, Exodus 1 and then Exodus 2, 23 to 24? What can we learn about people as a result? And let me just say one of the things I think that we learn from these passages is that the default mode of sinful humanity is always fear. And we knew that, right? We knew that because 365 times in Scripture it says, don't be afraid, right? And why would it say it 365 times if it wasn't a human problem? But fear clouds our vision. Fear melts our hearts. Fear undermines our commitment to follow Jesus wherever he goes, right? The default mode of sinful humanity is always fear. All the way back in, in, in Genesis 1, right? Adam's words after, after he and, and Eve chose to disobey God, his first words were, I was afraid, right? Fear led him away from the, the living God to trust in his own desires instead. I was afraid. And, and it makes sense then that as we look at the most powerful man in the known world at that time. Uh, and I love it that, that, um, that right here, the scripture, you know that you have some of the original uh, story right here when they called him the king of Egypt because they weren't really called Pharaoh until later. Um, they called him the king of Egypt. But this Pharaoh figure, this, this 
um, powerful man was afraid. Was afraid. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you hear stories all the time. You hear about J. Paul Getty, one of the richest men in the world in his day, right? And, and, and you say, if you could have anything, uh, J. Paul Getty, that, 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 that you wanted right here at the end of your life, what would it be? And, and J. Paul Getty said, I'd, I'd like more money. I, I, I like my money, right? One of the wealthiest people in the world. Human nature is so crazy. We, it doesn't make sense. Here's the most powerful man in the known world who's living by fear. Who's living by fear, right? What, what could he possibly be afraid of? He's afraid of the people that God had blessed. Let that sink in, right? Let that sink in. The world's most powerful people I have nothing compared to the blessing of God on someone like you or me who simply trusts Him, simply believes what God says. Pharaoh was afraid of the people that God had blessed. Why? Because they were too many. Remember, the command in Genesis had been, be fruitful and multiply, right? Be fruitful. And they did, even in persecution. They did. But now Pharaoh looks at two million of them and, and says, these are too many. And then, and then he says, these are too mighty. They are too mighty. What happens if all of a sudden two million people align themselves with my enemies, right? He was afraid of the people whom God blessed and he was afraid of his enemies. I always love singing that song, Kristen. Um, I'm no longer a slave to fear because every time I think I've gotten over this, right? every time I think I've overcome this and my trust is in God, God takes me to a new place, a new horizon. I can see a, a, a different horizon in the distance and, and, and my sinful human nature takes over and I'm tempted to fear again. I'm tempted to fear again. Child of God, you don't have to be afraid. It's helpful for me, and and many of you have said it to me and continue to say it to me. God's got this, right? God has got this, right? We don't have to fear. God is sovereign, and he's in control. So I don't have to fear when God blesses someone else, right? I don't have to fear what I'm going to lose as a result, because God has got this, And I don't have to fear my enemies either because God is sovereign. Well, Pastor Dave, I don't really have any enemies. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. And if you can't discern him, that's a part of his strategy, right? Um, The evil one's greatest desire from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 is to separate you from your relationship with the living God. So you may have enemies, and I I honestly believe, beloved, that as we continue to be faithful to Jesus, that more human enemies will arise. But if you can't see them right now, know that they're coming. If you can't see him right now, the, the evil one who's waging war against your soul, um, you will. You will. The more you step into God's purposes, the more his enemies will arise against you. 
So you're, you have an enemy, and your greatest enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not a people. Your greatest enemy is the evil one. But be encouraged. God's got this, right? God, through Jesus Christ, has already won the victory over him. God, through Jesus Christ, has already won the victory. So he just asks you to see that victory. See it from afar. I love the book of Hebrews, right? We saw a little bit of it last week because it talks about these champions of faith. But it says at the end, none of these received it, but they all saw it. Isn't that, isn't that an incredible statement? None of the people, none of these people in this great, how many did we say there was last week? 17? 17 heroes of the faith. None of them got what they, what they longed for in their lifetime, but they saw it from a distance and rejoiced and right now are living in the fulfillment of that promise. They are alive and living in the fulfillment of that process. So, why fear when we have a great God who has already provided for our needs? Pharaoh was afraid, but, but he took it a step further. And, and, and this is one of the particular vulnerabilities that we have when we're afraid. But Pharaoh kindled fear in the hearts of his people, right? And let me say that again. He kindled fear in the hearts of his people, Right? I, I might be able to understand trying to kindle fear, and he certainly did in the hearts of the Hebrews, right? But he kindled fear in the hearts of his own people. Does that sound familiar, right? Does that sound familiar? Satan's strategies never change. He's doing the same thing today. He's kindling fear in the hearts of God's people, right? And, and, and sowing seeds of doubt that God is not able to provide. Well, how does he do that? This is like a textbook, of how to plant fear in people's lives, right? How to plant fear. Let's look at it together. He does, Pharaoh kindles fear in the hearts of his people through political shrewdness behind closed doors, right? And what's the first step of this, right? He separates. These people have lived together for 400 years, right? They've lived together uh, next to one another, for 400 years. They have distinctives, but they've been there, right? And now, all of a sudden, he, he through political shrewdness, and I'm, I'm saying behind closed doors, it says he called his people together. He didn't call everybody together. He called his counselors together, right? And together they plotted, how do we, how do we overcome this, these people who are being so fruitful and multiplied? He said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty. Let's deal shrewdly with them. Unless they multiply, right? Lest they escape from the land. What, what he begins to do is to identify us and them. They are the other people, right? They are the other people. And, and um, I don't know why it came to my mind. I, think, well, I know why it came to my mind because I was watching USC, uh, University of Southern California, on TV. The reason I was watching them is because my team is so bad that I would rather watch my enemy's team, right, than, than my own. Um, but, but I was watching them, and I, I had a visceral reaction. Forgive me if any of you went to USC. Um, um, let's, let's be reconciled after the service, okay? But it was just inbred in me, right? We had cheers on the sidelines at UCLA. 
Who's the winning team? Yeah, we're the winning team. Who's the losing team, right? And it was always USC, right? And, and, and we were a state school, and I don't have my keys with me, and they were, and they were a, a private school, and so whenever they came out, we would shake our car keys at them. They're saying, you rich kids, right? By the way, I went to school for $250 a semester. I know, I know, it's not right. Um, wow. It was like a little red schoolhouse that had UCLA written on it. No, it wasn't like that. Um, it was wired into me that they're the enemy, right? And so to this day, to this day, when I see red and gold like that, right? I have a, I have a visceral reaction. Um, who created that? Why would I? That was a created thing. Somebody strategized so that I would hate USC, right? That's what, that's what Pharaoh's doing here. He's, he's separating. Now it's not us Southern Californians or us Americans or us global humans. Now it's UCLA and USC, right? Now it's Egyptian. For the first time in 400 years, Egyptian and Hebrew, right? These other people. I want to I stop for a second and, and just point out that and it was untimely that we have our children with us. This is one of the most horrific passages of Scripture, right? What we're talking about today is a terrible thing that was foisted on the people of God. This is, this is a horrific thing. And, and, and people who doubt the authenticity of Scripture, you know, say Scripture is just a made-up thing, right? That people made up stories to explain why would we create this one, right? Why would we write this one, right? It's like Abraham Lincoln, uh, when, when they accused him of being two-faced, he said, if I had two faces, why would I wear this one, right? And, and if, if, if there was some other way of projecting ourselves, why would we do this as, as people of God, but, but even just as humans? Why would, we, why would we portray humanity this way? This is genocide 101. This is how to oppress and dehumanize and ultimately eradicate a people from the planet Earth, Right? And throughout human history, if you study it, or, or sociology, or even psychology, you see sometimes a, a playbook, right? A playbook for how to make a subset of your population seem subhuman and, and begin working toward their destruction. So there are amazing forces at work in Exodus chapter 1. And the first thing that we see is, is political shrewdness based on fear. Pharaoh is creating a narrative that that the downfall of the Egyptian empire is tied to the Hebrew people. Now, I was saying that slowly because it should be ringing all kinds of bells in your mind, right? Pharaoh is creating a narrative that the downfall of their country is because of those people, right? Does that sound familiar, right? He didn't just go straight to physical violence, right? He, he, he creates a different Narrative. So in the halls of, of the king's palace, there's political maneuvering going on to deal with the Hebrew problem, right? In the same way in the back halls of Hitler's Germany, right? There's a lot of talk about the Jewish problem. In, in Mao's China, right? There was a lot of talk about the Christian problem, right? And that talk is going on again. In Rwanda, 
There was a lot of talk about those people, those other people. It was so ridiculous. So ridiculous that they had to create people with different looking noses in Rwanda to create division, right? Um, Pharaoh has taken an amazing step of of creating fear in his own people through political shrewdness. But then he moves on. And right in this one passage, we see many steps toward, toward hate and destruction of people. Right there in this passage, he increases the ante now from, from just uh, creating an other people to creating a lesser people, right? And he does it through physical oppression. Therefore, um, they set taskmasters over the Hebrews to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities of Pithom and, and Ramses, right? Pharaoh, Pharaoh is now anting up. He's, he's creating, he's taking it to the next level here. And now we've moved beyond just political stuff to physical oppression. To physical oppression. But now what happened? The more Pharaoh physically oppressed. It actually says that, right? In verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. It's like China in the 60s and 70s. The more they were crushed, the more they spread. The danger to the church is not persecution. The danger to the church is not having things taken away from us. The danger of a church is complacency, right? Complacency. Pharaoh physically oppressed the people and making them a lesser people, right? Oh yeah, uh, and this still happens in many cultures around the world. Uh, they're a different, they're a different caste. They're a different kind of people. That that's not a job for you. That's a job for them, right? Jesus obliterates. He obliterates all those kinds of divisions. But Pharaoh's not done. Now we're not just increasing physical oppression. Now he actually enslaves them. And, and with echoes of, of American slavery, which is, was different in many ways, but with echoes of American slavery, now all of a sudden they're no longer a people, right? They're not a people anymore. I can see them differently. Oh, here's people. Those people are slaves. Those people are slaves, right? So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. That word that's translated there in English, ruthlessly, would be better translated probably violently. They violently made them work as slaves. So we're seeing that no matter where the Hebrews go, there is legalized, sanctioned violence against them. And there are few things that rob people of dignity, right, and value, like legalized oppression. But there's no one to call where there's acts of violence against you because those acts of violence are sanctioned by the government around you. Pharaoh's upping the ante and he's not done yet. He continues to stir up fear through insidious murder. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Beautiful One and the other one Splendid One, when, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew people and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. Look at this. The people who are supposed to bring life 
have now been charged with bringing death. You know my heart. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? And I know that not all of you agree with me. But I would, it would be wrong of me to not tell you what I understand truth to be here. You do not advance cultures by killing your young. You do not. You do not. And especially in the coming of my most recent grandchildren and the life and death struggle to see them come into the world, I, I, I'm so aware of how precious life is. I understand and I respect you if you, if you feel differently, but, but I have to say that Scripture understands you to be human in the womb. I knew you, Psalm 139, in your mother's womb. And, and, and as Christians, we, we, it's easy to look at them, but to forget that we're in the same situation right here, right? We're in the same situation. Yesterday, in the United States, 2,400 children were murdered. 2,400. And about now some of you are going, are you condemning me? No. No. The Bible says also that, that if I'm angry with my brother, then I commit murder too. There's no judgment or condemnation. There's grace and mercy and forgiveness. But we have to ask for it. We have to receive. How are we going to move forward as a culture when we're killing our children? Right? How is that going to happen? How is it going to happen? Oh, pray with me, would you? Oh, God. Thank you. Um, thank you, Lord, that none of this is a surprise to you. You are mercy and grace. And God, I just, I just pray that you would forgive us as a culture, God, not in just this way, but the myriad ways, God, that we who call ourselves followers of Jesus are ignoring the plight of the people that you love, are ignoring the plight of those who cannot speak for themselves. Oh God, again, I'm so grateful for this congregation and the many ways that they are reaching out to the vulnerable. But God, forgive us. I don't know that we can move forward, God, until we own our brokenness and our sin and repent of it and renounce it. The Holy Spirit, in mercy, blow through this place. Father, I pray that every temptation and 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 any slight indication of condemnation would be washed away, God, in the light and love of your mercy and grace. But then, God, I pray for us as a nation that you would soften our hearts to things that were hardened so long ago. Oh, God, I pray for People who served in our military have never been able to forgive themselves for things that they saw or did 
or were done to them. Mercy, God, pour love into our hearts. Let us let go of those things. Let us talk again. God, let us, let us confess our sin to people who love us and, and will be your instruments of grace in forgiving us. Pray for those, God, who might have, um, in, a, in a moment, uh, made a decision, um, Father, that, that now they regret. I pray that you protect us from building a, a religion or a theology of our sin. That instead, God, you would, in mercy and grace, forgive and allow us to lift up our heads and gaze again into your eyes. I could go on all day, God. I'm just going to let you, Holy Spirit, blow through our hearts for just a moment. See if there's any hurtful way in us, God. Is it possible, God, that we could be freed from that heavy burden? Is it possible that your mercy would extend to even me? Is it, is it possible, God, that we could leave the past behind, that we could find our identities not in fear, that one day someone will understand what we said or did or didn't do, God, that we could leave our, our culture of fear and, and instead embrace the life and love that is ours through Jesus Christ. And beloved, if God has prompted you today, he's made an amazing promise that if you will agree with him, and with every head bowed and every eye shut, all you have to do is just nod your head in agreement with the things that God has revealed to you, if you will agree with him that that is sin, then he will forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are not bound by our sin. Thank you that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin so that I might be set free. Thank you, God, that no matter what sins you gently reveal to me in the coming hours and days and years, God, I can always go right back to you. I can always come to the foot of of the cross and plead the blood of Christ and, and God, receive mercy in my time of need. Oh, beloved, if you've confessed your sins, you are forgiven in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen? Wow. I had no idea we were going to go there. Let me, um, let me continue for a minute because it gets worse. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, now it moves from insidious murder to genocide. To genocide. Pharaoh commanded his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Not knowing that we were going to have children in our sanctuary, um, there is a terrible reason that he let the sons live. Or excuse me, killed the sons and let the daughters live. There's a terrible reason for that. But let me just focus on one aspect of that. And that is that if you kill the sons, you end the family line. You break the family line in that culture, right? The, the family line was passed down through the sons. And so what Pharaoh was doing was eradicating a culture. He was eradicating a people. He was committing genocide, right? There's committing genocide, and he's doing much more that is even more wicked. But he's, he's ending a culture. He's ending a people. And though you, Lord willing, would never be involved in anything like that, every time you look at someone different than you and treat them different than you, in a way, in a way, you are leaning into that, right? That's why, they're, that's why it's so important for us to leave behind the cultural trappings of our self-centered nature here and, and, and recognize that we are a, a people Yes, we're grateful for every blessing. I'm grateful for my family. I'm so grateful for you. My church, I'm so grateful to God for this country, right? But beyond all those things, I am a child of God, right? And every human I lay eyes on is a child of God too, not in the sense of necessarily being saved, but being created in their image. There's no one that you lay eyes on that is any lesser or any greater than you, no matter what titles they have by their names. Okay? Wow. Wow. So, so Pharaoh creates a culture of fear, right? But let's continue. God reveals His glory almost always in the Scripture by using the weak and the powerless to accomplish his purposes, right? Who did he do it in this story? He used the midwives, right? The midwives, Shipra and Pua, beautiful one and splendid one. Did you notice that we never are told the name of the king of Egypt? We're never told the name of the Pharaoh right there. There might be many reasons for that, but I think it's totally cool that we're never told the name of the most powerful person in the known world at that time, but we're told the names that you just heard today. We're told the name Shepra, and we're told the name Pua. Why? Because they're great in God's eyes, much greater than Pharaoh ever was, right? God reveals his glory in Scripture by using the weak and the powerless to accomplish his purpose, right? And what's especially beautiful is that the, the snapshot and culture right then, it's important to note that at this point in human history, this, this could sound terrible, and I apologize, but, but women are viewed just a step below cattle. Just a step below 
cattle. Their word was not admissible in, in law. Their value, financial value, was less than cattle, right? You could trade them. You could always trade your daughter for, for cattle or weapons or things to make your house stronger. Women are seen in this culture in a very real way as being subhuman. Now, read between the lines, adults, because that's one of the reasons they let the women live, Right? They're seen as something less than human. And you see here in this chapter, Pharaoh's complete and utter dismissal of them. Kill the boys. Kill the ones that matter. Let the women live, right? Yet by the power of God, the most powerful nation on earth at that point in history falls and is destroyed and goes to the grave by the power of God working through women. And we'll see two of them here, and we'll see three of them next week. Through women, um, uh, Shipra, Pua, Moses' mother, Moses' sister, and Pharaoh's own daughter, God brings down the most powerful nation on earth. You know how gutsy these ladies are? Right? This king says murder the babies, murder them, right? And, and you don't think that, that they don't know by their act of defiance that their lives are on the line? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? But they choose their own death rather than killing the babies, right? God uses people who fear him more than the pharaohs of this world. God uses people who fear Him. Let me put it another way. The antidote to fear, which is our problem here, right, is faith, is trust in something greater, right? This is the chapter from Hebrews 11. And and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about the people who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, there it is, was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foremen foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. They faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And what was God's evaluation of them? The world was not worthy of them. How God uses the weak to overcome the powerful. Wow. Wow. What do we learn about people from this passage, right? Oh, my goodness. Now, the question is, what do we learn about God, right? What do we learn about God? God hears the cries of his people. Well, how come he doesn't hear mine? He hears the cries of his people. Does he do it on your time? No, he hears the cries of his people and he responds in his perfect way. We didn't study Joseph together, but it's so visible in the life of Joseph that all these things that, that humans intended for bad, Joseph was able to encapsulate and say, God intended for good. God heard my cry, Right? God remembers His covenant promises. I, I had a little humorous moment when I was studying this just because it's like, uh, oh, 
forgot my covenant promise, right? No, no, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden he remembered. It means that he acts on it, right? The act of, of remember, remembering is an act. I'm putting it into practice. When we take communion, what do we say? We remember you. We take this act of worship and we remember God. God remembered his covenant promises to Abraham. And God set in motion something they could not see at the moment. Something that we'll see next week. They didn't recognize when it came. But God set in motion something that was going to transform them as a people. God sees them. And God experiences or knows them. Where are you today, beloved? Where are you today? I pray. I pray you're not living in condemnation. Oh, you're real mad at me right now. That's okay. Um, Let's talk about it together. Let's search the scriptures together to capture God's heart. Here's one thing I know for sure. I know for sure that when we script, when we search scriptures together, I'm going to find things that, that I thought were true that were not true. And, and our culture is now calling many of those things political, right? But, but before they were ever political, God spoke about them. I have got to capture the heart of God. And I do that through his scripture because the very same things are playing out right in front of us right now. So, so we've got to search, and I don't mind at all, come back and you slap me around saying, what were you thinking? Let's talk about it together. Let's search the scriptures together. And both of us will be blessed. Both of us will grow as a result of that. But where are you today? Because there's too much at stake for you. There's too much at stake for the generations, many of whom are in the room that come after us. There's too much at stake for us to ignore what God is doing. Are you overwhelmed with difficult circumstances? God has got this. God hears you. God remembers his covenant with you. God sees you and God knows he enters into your struggles. Pray with me, would you? I thank you, God, for meeting us in this place. I pray for those who are suffering right now. Um, I pray for those especially, God, who might be experiencing injustice right now. And, and just pray, God, that, that those words of hope would, would find root in our hearts, that we'd know that you haven't abandoned us, God. In fact, you're already moving. We just can't see it yet. You're already moving to respond to our cries. But God, I also pray for myself and others who, who might, in our, in our foolishness or even ignorance, God, be living Egyptian lives rather than Hebrew ones, be living out of... of our culture of sin rather than out of our trust in Jesus Christ. So I just pray gently, God, would you ever so gently draw us closer to you. Open your word to us through our our private studies, through our studies with other people, through our time together in the book of Exodus. Open your word so that we can see ourselves as you see us. And we can live as you have desired us to live. Then I just thank you in advance, God, for the amazing generational Um, cycles that will be broken, for the people that will come to know you, for the lives that will be changed as a result of these women and men who are not afraid to use their weakness for your glory. We love you, God, and we worship you in Jesus' name.
precious name. Amen. Stand with us, would you, for our closing song?